Hey guys and girls, welcome to the first ever episode of Front Page Football's A-League Women's Podcast, Front Page Dub. My name is Cody Ojeda, I'm joined by Matt Olson. We are two contributors for the Front Page Football website, two of the primary contributors, I guess you'd say, for the A-League Women's and Women's Football in general. Obviously, we have other contributors such as Antonis Pagonis, Jack Tuwell, and Jeremy Magand have done some fantastic work in the uh, women's side of the game, of course. But to start this podcast, it will be me and Matt. So, Matt, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Um, hope you know when I'm not making an idiot out of myself dropping the microphone uh, <laughs> as you start recording. Um, that was fucking embarrassing. Oh, no, look, 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 if we could just if we could just speak to this. Obviously, Christian um, is is the the head of honcho at, at, at FPF, and he's he's obviously uh, someone that that only has so many hours in the day, and he's he's asked <laughs> on us as people that are really passionate about the game to continue being passionate about the game and to spread the word, particularly of, of, you know, because Australian footballs, we're always a minority in Australian football, right? There's no, there's no hiding that, but the women's competition in particular, you know, it's been going from strength to strength for as long, if not longer than the men's competition has. And I think um, for us to, to be voices and advocates for that is important because it's never got, it's never garnered the respect that it's deserved in the in, in you know that the decade and a half or more that it's been going on i guess it's closer to 20 years than it is to 15 um but the one thing that i also you know would like to speak to more broadly with women's football is obviously we're about to host the world cup um but you know if we're going to win a fifa world cup it's more than likely going to be with the matildas than the socceroos right so on that aspect alone activism for the women's game should be at the forefront, but of course, of course, it's not. It's it's not, but it's something that I've always really had a passion for, because you look at those world rankings and you see us fifteenth, you see us tenth, you see us as high as fourth or fifth, you know, um, and that was only seven or so years ago, you know. So you look at that and you think it's our, it's our time, like you know, the game needs to needs to go higher and higher, and and women's football is a better avenue through which to do that. Sorry for the rambling and the long intro, but I just. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to speak to why we're doing this and why it's so important. No, and look, the women's football landscape is definitely an important part of Australian football, and we really need, I think, a lot of people. Obviously, front page football, we've done a lot in the women's space, but hopefully, having this will help get the further get our message about women's football out. And look, I think I can put out a call out if there are any um, female writers or any females that want to get into um, writing journalism that side of the game. Uh, contact Christian Marchetti because I'm sure he'll be open to bringing more women on board within front page football too. Anyway, we'll actually get um, stuck into the competition that we want to talk about. Um, mm. And unfortunately, the biggest news with the A-League women's at the moment is the fact that it has been screwed over, I want to say in the same way that the A-League men's have, but the reality is the implications for the women's competition are so much more devastating, so much more amplified, yet... No, there's very, very few people that are actually going into depth about why this is such a bad thing. So, you know, to speak to my introduction just now, women's football and activism for women's football has to be at the forefront because it's a marginalized society in an even more marginalized game, right? So, you know, straight off the bat, I'm thinking if they're hosting a neutral final, for the A-League, you know, men's competition, that's that's pretty bad. To be doing this for the women's competition where Sydney FC had the opportunity 
uh, what was it about three years ago, uh, maybe maybe four, where they've hosted a grand final against Sam Kerr's Perth Glory, and they've actually hosted a men's grand final um, in that same season. And of course, the men's grand final was a raging success. But their women who went on to win the title in in that same year, and I really should know what season it is off the top of my head. It's a shame that I don't. <laughs> but basically, the active went and told Danny Townsend at the time, who of course was, um, you know, the CEO of Sydney FC, basically told him that they don't care. And um, if that doesn't speak to what's happening within the home city of supporters of of, of our of our clubs and our members. Um, what's it going to do on neutral territory? You know, I just don't, I just don't understand. I mean, the, the, A, the A-League women's competition has been properly shafted by this in a way that is borderline just unfair um, because, and Cody, you will speak to this, but of the members that uh, voted on this, the APL, in fact, has 13 members. Only 12 of them voted. The 13th member, of course, being Canberra United, who solely run a female football team and sadly are yet to expand into the male game, but they've not had a vote. And that's the thing, because like we said, this decision affects the Alec women's just as much, if not more, than the men's. And the fact certainly that... Certainly more than the men's. Oh, certainly more than the men's. That's probably me trying to be kind about it. But the fact is, there are 13 professional football clubs in Australia. The fact that only 12 voted on this and Canberra United are now left in the lurch where, look, by the sounds of everything that's come out today, it looks like this is already a done deal no matter what the um, result of yesterday's meeting was. But the fact that Canberra United weren't even invited to that to at least have their say to say, and that would have been a voice that was solely for the women's game, which is something that the APL board currently lacks. And mm. Danny Townsend can spin all the bullshit that he wants, that he wants to drive the women's game, he wants to grow the women's game in the lead up to the 2023 World Cup. The decision that he's made has done the exact opposite. Because, like you said, there's people that are very avid supporters of the men's game, very passionate supporters about the men's game, that will more than often tell the women to go stick it where the sun doesn't shine. And considering you're talking about Sydney FC, who by far have, and this is probably a hot take, but probably the best women set up in the country, you know, um, minor premiers in recent years, unfortunately they haven't been able to take that step to the grand final because Melbourne Victory are a very, very good finals team. But you look at the way they play as well, they probably play the best football out of any women's side, maybe up until this year, which is something that we're going to go into a, bit, a little bit later. But the fact that there's people in that circle that won't attend a final in their own backyard, now you're going to try and tell them, well, obviously not Sydney FC, but you're going to tell another um, active Yeah, it's, all, it's obviously a bad example because it's it a bad example because it's in their city, but <laughs> yeah. people like this exist all over the country. And instead of trying no, to convince exactly. them to go to a grand final in their own city, you've got to try and convince them to go halfway across the country. To be fair, fair, to to my point, it's pretty mute because the the CEO was also happened to be Danny Townsend at the time. Yeah, but Um, the thing is, Danny Townsend understands the struggle that women's football goes through. But he he was clearly, for as long as as he's the face of this, he, you know, because because the the, the irony of it was, you know, back then, I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019, and I I don't know why I'm, I'm frustratingly not remembering the year that this specific example happened. But I remember Danny Townsend himself speaking to it at the time pleading with members of the Cove and, and him openly saying it was actually around the time he retold the story around the time he introduced the club championship. Another idea that has seemingly disappeared off the face of the earth, yeah. funnily enough. What the hell um, is that? What the hell's happened with that? I, I, man, I don't know. 
<laughs> and to be fair, we, we'd have to speak to the, the heart of the, the female supporters clubs to see if they care that much about it either. But it did seem like it was a very unpopular idea. Don't know that it should have been necessarily phased away because it, it just is just very bizarre the way that it happened. But I'm going off on a tangent. I don't really need to be going off on a tangent. This is a very important conversation to be having about the state of the game. But Danny Townsend himself at the time said that, that he was pleading with them. And now he is the one at the head of this entire organization and at the head of the, the leagues with an S leagues. And he's the one not giving Canberra a seat at the table. So ultimately for, for him, you know, there, there's hypocrisy there from, from years prior on, on his ability to be an advocate for the game um, and to not, not only not be pleading for the fans in that kind of club setting, but to now be doing it in a formal setting with an entire football club based on producing female footballers, it's pretty disgusting and pretty disrespectful that they didn't have a seat at the table. And, you know, ultimately, you know, we don't know how they would have voted, right? But they don't exactly seem like the type of organisation that's putting money at the forefront and putting a lot of corporate greed the same way that, say, Chris Fong from the Backreys would. I mean, he was... He was a pretty vocal proponent of the idea. Let, let, let's just set this out. He was, but he specifically mentioned in his statement, it's all about the money. That's what he said. You know, well, he said that he said that they would have been threatened with funding and whatever else. So he tried to hide it behind. I'm still fan first, even though you clearly not. And, and when I look at a, a community club like Canberra, because they very much are a community club, when I look at a, a club that's based on how can we produce the next Matildas, you know, how can we give Michelle Heyman a good farewell? You know, th- that kind of club doesn't strike me as the kind of club that's going to be sitting there and going, yeah, we need to do this for, for financial reasons. So, and you know, that's I just that wonder if they that. would love a grand final in Canberra. It's, of course they would. Yeah. It's what every club fights for, but particularly them, because this is the sole representative that Canberra has on the national football stage. Hmm. This shouldn't be something they'd give up so easy. And I can guarantee you it wouldn't have been something that they'd give up so easy if they had the chance to fight for it. But you mentioned um, women's supporter groups, and you may have said you went on a tangent, but the reality, in reality, that's an important part of this discussion because... There are a lot of people within the women's game right now that are absolutely pissed. And I'm not sure if you've seen this, but a number of A-League women's supporters groups have actually come out with a collective statement. Um, Victory Vikings, shout out to them. They were the first ones that I saw to post it. I don't know if they were the ones that were the catalyst for it or if that was just what, how, the, how it came up on my feed. But I know that Royal Corps, WJets Active, um, at, at a minimum, they've both shared it. Flight of the Knicks too. Uh, basically saying we are the collective of A-League women's active supporter groups incredibly disappointed isn't with today's announcement uh, we've not been consulted about this change which has a material impact on us and the broader fan experience we call on the APL and all clubs to consider the impacts um, and identify strategies to uh, avoid disproportionately disadvantage disadvantaging A-League women's teams and their loyal fans that's the first part of the statement I won't go through the whole thing because it is a bit of a lengthy post I do implore you to check it out on any uh, A-League women's active socials because it is a very, very good statement. But the thing about the women's game, the reality is in the last few years it has been gaining momentum and crowds are slowly starting to build up to a point where it's gaining momentum, it's getting stronger. And the reason why it's getting stronger is because of the connection these these teams have with their fans. Taking the biggest game on the A-League women's football calendar and moving it potentially to a city that neither participating team is in 
that's throwing that whole connection out the window because the one game where you're at least going to have one team who's going to have a bucket load of people come in because you're not just going to have the diehards that are there supporting the women week in, week out, but the casual fans and even maybe some of those rusted on club fans that don't usually go to the women's game, but will go for the grand final to support them in such a big match. And then they'll go there. They see, Hey, look, yeah, I'm actually going to get a good connection with these players. I've had other people. Um, I don't know exactly what to call them, but I'd probably say content creators where they've said they love covering the women's game more because they feel like a genuine part of the team. Because when people in the A-League women's circles see fans genuinely going in and putting an effort for that for them for that side of the game they show them they show them that same respect back but a decision like this takes the biggest occasion away from those fans the person that i'm talking about is from newcastle if newcastle jets make an a women's final you're not going to get five thousand people from newcastle traveling down to sydney no matter what you offer that's the unfortunate reality of it and when the sole basis of you trying to grow women's football is meant to be building that connection between player and club, denying them of what could be a highlight in their journey supporting their football team is disastrous. And especially at a time where we really should be taking advantage of the situation in front of us regarding the Women's World Cup next year. This is this decision, I don't see how it provides any footballing benefit i don't see how it provides any commercial benefit considering the figure that's been released today but that's a whole other question that's a whole other story and we're seeing boycotts in the men's side of the game i can't see it happening in the women's side of the game because these people are so invested in their clubs and the fact that the powers that be will say yep yeah, well see these people are still coming out to support their clubs and they're trying to twist it to say they're being supportive that is that will be absolutely disgusting you've got people here that are that, that loyal that they're still willing to put up with the shit that you are putting them through now I, I just it makes me unfathomably angry. Yeah, one hundred percent, Cody. I can only echo that statement. And of course, you know, I've I've had my chance to passionately speak on this, but there is one more point I wanted to make, and I honestly should have opened the show with this. I'm actually disappointed that I didn't because I've wanted to tell this story for years, right? So when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I didn't have Foxtel, and my way of being connected. Now I was more of a footy and more of a cricket person at the time. I'll be honest, but. My way of connecting with soccer was not through the A-League because I didn't have Foxtel. You know what I did have? Every Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m., of course, in WA time, it would have actually been replays most of the games. But the ABC would show W-League Game of the Round on on, on, on uh, free-to-air TV. And I would tune in to the W-League, <laughs> to the dub, our beloved dub, and I would tune in and I'd watch... Uh, you know, the, 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 the W League game of the round, and that was my connection to soccer, and that was my connection to football. I grew up on the W League. I didn't grow up watching the A League. That, that's, that's my crazy. introduction that to the game was more or less through this competition. And for Danny Townsend to ignore Canberra United's seat at the table, he's essentially telling people that this competition t- doesn't matter. He is telling the people that this competition doesn't matter on the, the doorstep of us hosting the FIFA Women's World Cup. That's what he's doing. He's telling us that our competition is not big enough, even though it is one of the biggest women's competitions on planet Earth, and we're about to host a Women's World Cup. The same day that this grand final news broke, by the way, the team base camps was announced for the Women's World Cup. It was totally overshadowed, and a lot of communities who have helped build the game around the country and in New Zealand, although 
you know, there's questions about some of the facilities there because some teams are training at cricket grounds and things like that. But let me get to the point. There are community clubs who have been rewarded by getting some of the best female footballers on the planet to come to their grounds, right? And in that the exact same day that that is announced, Danny Townsend is telling women's football, you don't matter, step aside. You don't get a vote. You don't get a seat at the table. That is ridiculous. And that's what this boils down to, you know? And and, and again, I, I know that I know that whenever they reach out to free-to-air networks, when they initially reached out to Channel 10, the SBS, it was always women's football that they were putting on free-to-air. It was always women's football that they wanted to get out there. And yet here they are. It's the biggest decision you could make. It is a very important decision, and you are not giving Canberra United and women's football a voice. It's ridiculous. And it really is ridiculous. And look, uh, is there any other things you want to talk about in relation to this topic look, before we look, move there, on? There really should be. There's a lot of energy here. We're obviously, as a community, we are all scathing. And as Vince Rigari said, vote one soccer party, all, all that stuff. <laughs> but and, and the reason why, you know, this is just tangent after tangent. None of it's coherent. Or, uh, maybe it's coherent, but it's not really in, interlinked in any way. And the reason for that is I just have to get that energy out there. And also, this is my first time publicly actually talking about the the dub, so I'm a little bit like all over the place. But yeah, I mean, I don't know, Cody, like you really have to think about the power of of that decision to say no and what that's, and what that's doing because Danny Townsend can talk out of his ass. Football Australia, you know, to, to, obviously they did more for it. If you go back to the lowy days, women's football did in fact have a seat at the table. So, you know, but, but, but they, they, they talk as a community about being really big about this and they talk about making the financial decisions and then for, for, for Canberra to be denied, I think that's actually a really big statement for all the wrong reasons. So yeah, maybe, maybe uh, Cody, we can, we can talk about some on-pitch stuff now. Man, look, the reality is there is still a competition going on and the whole point of this podcast was to be talking about the stories on the pitch because that's what makes this competition great. That's what makes this competition what it is. It's not about what people in a boardroom are saying. It's the football that's actually being played. And two teams that are playing some fantastic football at the moment and are actually going to face off this weekend. So we've, we're four rounds into the competition, of course. Um, there are only two teams left with a 100% record, although they're still... Sorry? You were right. You were right. I just, I was shaking my head because I, I thought you were going to say undefeated. But of course, Canberra do in fact sit sixth and are technically undefeated with a one, two and zip record. Just needed to say, specify yeah, no, that. No, no, no. 100%, 100% record. record. I'm talking nine points on the board. Yeah, go ahead. Well, look, you got Melbourne City and Western United with 100% records. They've won three from three. Obviously, we're four rounds in the season. They've both had buys. That's the only reason why Sydney FC is still above Western United because Sydney FC have just had the chance to play one more match, which they lost in the first round to Adelaide. But Western United and Melbourne City, two very, very different approaches um, in terms of recruitment before the season started. They're now seeing the same results, and they've set up this very interesting fixture for the weekend, which... Besides, if there wasn't an open derby in the men's game, I'd actually argue this is probably going to be one of the marquee fixtures for the week coming up because there's so much on the line already this early in the season. 20-round season, you want to get off to a strong start as possible, and when you're, both sides will be dreaming of a minor premiership at this stage, a loss now could drastically, well, I won't say drastically change that, but it'll definitely change. It'll definitely put a dent in their um, hopes for it. But speaking more of the recruitment side of things, Western United... They definitely have been building their side for a couple of years now through Calder United. 
Uh, a lot of the, especially the Australian players, have come through that side. But then they've added the likes of Chloe Legazzo, Jess McDonald, Hannah Keane, Sydney Cummings, who have all been absolutely brilliant. Some very high-profile names, in particular, Jess McDonald, who is on their guest contract. Melbourne City, meanwhile, they have added a few Americans and an international between Katie Bowen from New Zealand and then Julia Grosso and Amina Ekic, who Amina Ekic has been fantastic this season, by the way. But then, aside from that, their um, approach has probably been more focused around being bringing in some good young players and giving them the opportunity. So they've brought in Briley Henry for this season from the Wanderers. Daniela Galich coming from the Football New South Wales Institute, who, Matt, you'll speak to this as well, was fantastic in the Under-20s Women's World Cup, especially in that match against Costa Rica. Um, and then on top of that, you're giving um, game time to like Naomi Shinema, Sally James, who were also at the Under-20s Women's World Cup. But two very, very different approaches. So far, hitting the same results. This weekend will possibly change that unless it ends up being a draw. But what's your take on it all? So I'll just speak to something you said before about Sydney FC being this sort of beacon of of talent, of uh, female talent in Australia. You can never underestimate that the City Football Group, in lieu of their purchase of Melbourne City, had always seen women's football and the development of women's football and the development of football coaches through women's football, a la Patrick Kisnorbo, and their, their ability to do that. So the reason they've always been at the top of this competition, Cody, plain and simply, is because they know what they're doing. And for me, they sort of dwarf Sydney FC in that respect in terms of their ability to be that club, to be the benchmark uh, in terms of development for one reason or another. Obviously, from the grassroots, maybe New South Wales outdoes Victoria, although that is the perfect segue, though, because in terms of Victorian development in females football, how is it that a humble club in Calder United could essentially morph into being the heart of a top contending, uh, you know, Western United team with, you know, Matildas and, and top international talent mixed in in between. I just find it so, so fascinating. So for me, you know, when we talk about the creme de la creme of, of developing female footballers and, and really being, uh, you know, those, those programs that do set the benchmark. Yeah. On, on paper, it's such a tantalizing battle and it's really, a really tasty one. You'd love to see a blockbuster clash like this so early in the season. Um, in terms of, of how the philosophies line up, look, I'm probably still tipping City as both the better program um, and the better club on the day. <laughs> so I'm probably looking at a Melbourne City win here, Cody. But to speak to it more broadly, look, if if Western United do get on top, I think it speaks to their wins and their wins in big games like this being a real statement of intent of women's football from the grassroots up as well. And I think that for them being the benchmark for that alone, um, that's that's only exclusively a feel-good story. And of course, you take away all the all the male narratives, uh, you know, from 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 a Western United perspective, because it's not really about all. Oh, well, where, was it right to expand there? And they've played in this big empty stadium, and they don't have any of that because they've got they've got the base at Sunshine Cross. They play there, get a healthy crowd there. They have that on their side as well. So that's the thing for all the hate the Western United's gotten on the men's side of the game. The strategy that they've implement, implemented for the women's side has been really good so far. They've through the women's game, they have actually had the chance to play in the area that they've exactly that they want to cover. Exactly. And, and they actually bring that... they got don't, correct me if I'm wrong, their opening match against Melbourne Victory, which I'm gonna speak about in a minute actually, because that's an important point I want to make. Mm-hmm. They got roughly just over two thousand, which was the same crowd they got against MacArthur that everyone was like, Oh my god, what is happening with this club? Yep. 
but it looked so much better. There was, look, it's a pinch of salt though, because there was a shit ton of victory people that showed up. So just maybe hold off on that kind of judgment just yet, because I don't know that they're going to be getting 2,000 people to Sunshine Cross every every game. <laughs> look, only time will tell, but if the but, team's successful, you're going to bring in a healthy crowd. You are, you are, and it's not about bringing 2,000 every game. It's about being more in line with what other clubs are getting in the women's side. Because yeah, exactly. if you're averaging, say, the higher 1,000s into the 2,000s, obviously we're starting to see record-breaking crowds of 5,000 as well. But the point is, we are probably averaging the higher 1,000s at the moment. So if they're hitting that on a regular basis, that's still probably something that we, we can say, okay, yeah, look, once this club is permanently set up in the West, they're, they're going to show why they deserve to be in the league. Yeah, and honestly, something that that, that, that is just sort of crossing my mind while we're having the discussion um, and again, we're going away from sort of the on-pitch and the and the stuff that we really wanted to talk about. But Cody, when you talk about sort of these uh, growth areas, which are the reason Western United and MacArthur were accepted into the league, think about who lives there. Because it's, it's not actually older people or, or people that are more sort of in their prime as sporting people or wanting to go and, and watch a game with their mates. It's honestly more of the family demographic, if anything, looking to move out to somewhere you know, with with a nice sort of coastal culture, which is what the city of Wyndham is is all about, right? When you think about that, women's football is actually like the peak aesthetic for how you know young people and particularly young girls, but particularly just the the family atmosphere of a, a woman's game. How that can actually be a really really appealing prospect to a team like Western United, say they set up the training ground at Tarnate, right? And you have a capacity of, let's just say for, for the argument, you have a capacity of about 4,000 similar to Macedonia Park in Perth. And they've set it up and the facilities are pristine. The family environments and a lot of the young families that have moved into the city of Wyndham area, they're going to those games, honestly, like, because it's something, it's something that's fun to go out and do. It still has that aspect of being sport. So you know, if you're if you're a young dad or if you're a brother, you can still be going out there and 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 having a having a drink and, and having a good time and watching live sport, experiencing live sport. But for the family and for young girls as well, that influence is being parked in an area where there's no other sport of that kind there because it's a residential area for young families. And this is where Western United could become the force on the pitch, <laughs> Cody, on the pitch. Um. You know, for me, I've obviously I've watched their their first few games on the dub zone program and have not been getting the full picture <laughs> because I'm obviously watching other games and watching a, a talk show during <laughs> during that. So I'm not really gonna be acting like I'm an expert and like I've got all the intricacies of it. And I'm not even I don't even have that much tactical now, so I don't know how much I can speak to. But I will say this. Clearly, the blend of the experienced players with those that have come from the Calder United program, clearly it is working very well. And clearly it's made for a club where the veteran presence in the team, whether it be people that have grown up through Calder United or whether it's someone like a Chloe Legazzo, which we, of course, so lovingly saw during the uh, the A-Leagues All-Access, right? That that influence, that can be a winning mix because what you're doing is you take is you're helping people grow to that professional standard as athletes and you're taking people who have been doing it for decades on end at that professional standard and when you mix it together you have a change room and you have a a football dynamic a purely speaking football dynamic on the pitch 
that's it's gold. It's it's solid gold. It's it's a million bucks, you know. Um, and that for me, it, it speaks to a lot about how this team can perform. What's really fascinating about this is it'll be that dynamics first time coming up in a really big banger clash in almost like a pseudo final, right? So how does the dynamic work at play in that environment? And that's the big question for me around Western United. Well, that's the thing, because you look go back to their first game where Melbourne Victory probably is meant to be the marquee team in Melbourne. You look at across Australia, across the board in Australian football as a whole, Melbourne Victory is meant to be the big club. But this season, despite Melbourne Victory not going to making the more high-profile signings in terms of Australians, when you got to that opening game, Western United, who people were kind of touch and go on, it's like, okay, how are they going to do? How are these new signings going to go? How are some of these players going to step up from the NPL? But they completely matched Melbourne Victory. It was a very, very tight game. And that experience did shine through in the end. When you have someone like Jess McDonald up front, that's obviously going to make a difference for the side. And when you do have players where, even though for a, a large majority of that playing squad, it is their first time in the A-League women's, um, there is anomalies. They obviously have signed some players from Melbourne Victory. Harriet Withers, Franny Yeramana come to mind. But... There's still a lot of experience that people have gotten elsewhere. Like I said, Jess McDonald, she's won a World Cup for Christ's sake. It's not like she's just come, she's come out of nowhere. She is a big player, and when you do have players like that in your squad, you it, you have you know you've got someone there that you can count on to step up in a match-winning moment, especially when the game is so tight. And considering that's probably what the game's going to be like against Melbourne City, they're the sort of players that you want on your side because I look at Mel- Melbourne City side, you have. The likes of Rihanna Policina, who can probably turn, not probably can turn the game on ahead on her own. Uh, you've got a strong backline in Amy Chinema, I think is a fantastic young footballer. Katie Bowen's an experienced centre back. Sally James looks like a very good goalkeeper, especially in the years to come. But when you're talking about Chinema and Sally James themselves, maybe that experience does come to question when they come up against Jess McDonald, who, like we just said, will step up in those match-winning moments. How do they handle a situation like that? And that's going to be the big question going into this weekend because Melbourne City have shown that they're not a team to, that they're definitely not a team to take lightly, despite it's mainly being built around young talent. But going up against so many experienced heads in this game, it will be very interesting. And I think they're going to be challenged in a way they haven't quite been this season. Yeah, um, I I think that obviously. That challenge is something where Melbourne City's experience is probably the better for it, right? Like I'm I'm thinking about sort of this is the first time that Western United obviously as a club, but also the, the playing group stepping up in that finals dynamic. Now Melbourne City through the off season, obviously they've they've re- recruited and they've had to recruit, but the bulk in the heart of the team um that's been so successful is still there. So when you're pulling that dynamic up against one that uh, you know is is fresher in that sense, it again sort of puts Melbourne City in the balance. Although it shows that Western United are up for the game, so I'm I'm probably you know on that balance maybe thinking it's more of more of City's game to to stand up for the occasion. Um, but the one thing you can say is being being essentially a Melbourne derby, although we're pretty fraught with saying that about Western United games in general. But with that being the case. Uh, you know, it's not like tra- travel fatigue or anything like that uh, plays into it at all. So that's where, you know, 
we're guaranteed a good game, if you know what I mean. Uh, just just on that on that. Look, I really alone, hope so. so. And you're talking about a team with attacking talent in both sides. Exactly. I'd I'd love a high scoring affair. Three two. Oh, I hope so. Let's uh, hope so. Yeah. Kate McDonald. Actually, no. Hannah Keane Hattrick. She's my fantasy captain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't do the fantasy. And um, I would try to put eleven Hannah Larrys on the pitch. To be fair, <laughs> if I did, <laughs> had to throw her in. I, I had to. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I. I obviously. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, why not? I, I, Hannah Keane, a bag of goals. Uh, <laughs> that sounds pretty, pretty good to me. Um, Maybe Briley Henry is all I do have her in my fantasy. I've got two. I've got a Melbourne City striker and I've got a West United West striker United. in my fantasy. Yeah, so this go. is a win-win for me if it's a high-scoring affair. So, yeah. ran the goals, please. Um, we'll leave it. Actually, one last comment I do want to make, special Melbourne City. Mm. Um, Dario Vitisic, his first um, gig as a senior coach. Yeah. Uh, taken over the reins from Dar- uh, Rado Vitisic, who yep. his father, yeah. Um, his father, tough start to life with the men's uh, Melbourne City team. While he has se- overseen this side really make a seam- seamless transition from the Rado era to Dario's era. And I know it's only meant to be temporary, but it's something that I wouldn't actually be surprised if this is the case long term, considering Patrick Kisnorba made that move in the past. Maybe it's Rado Vitisic's turn. But if Dario is a long-term coach for the Melbourne City's women's team, he's shown that he's definitely up for the challenge. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, it's a statement of intent to come out and win this one, given all the circumstances as well. One thing I'll say on Dario is, I can't believe we're talking about Dario, the coach. Um, You know, when I think about sort of my prime era of like watching every single A-League game of a season, I'm thinking about when Dario Vitisic was banging goals for the Wanderers. So to be talking about, to talk about Dario, the coach, uh, in lieu of obviously Patrick Isnorbo going on his way. And I really think we should emphasize that Patrick Isnorbo made his start with the Melbourne City women's team. I feel like that, like that because... It's, it's a been... fact that often gets overlooked, I think. Because, yeah, and and because you've got to think, he... he was the coach of the Melbourne City women's team in arguably their most dominant period too. Exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. And you can and say they, they had mentioned. the financial backing, but they still got that financial backing, yet no one's able to replicate the success that he brought to the club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Absolutely. And when you, when you go, if you go back... Years prior to that, I mean, I can think of dominant Canberra teams. I can think of dominant Sydney teams. They never built that legacy quite the way that Patrick did. And for him to be a Liga oh, manager, love the I nailed the French there, fucking hell. Uh, but for him, for him to be a top five, you know, males league manager, and for that to have emanated from from the A League women, that's also a really big selling point for the competition that uh, we need to discuss. But I'll I'll get a lay off the tangents now. And hopefully when we sit down and discuss this more as the season goes on, Cody, hopefully it's not so tangent filled and hopefully we get better structure with it. Do you want to quickly touch on any other teams or any other games or have we just not got the time? Uh, one more topic, but before we move on, yeah. um, anyone that's this, if you're a first time listener to me and, and me and Matt on, I was going to say Antonis, but he'll, um, <laughs> You're the if you're the first time listening to me and Matt on a podcast, you should understand we go off track a lot. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, it's my it's my thing. I just we have a lot know. we have a lot going through our head that we want to talk about. We're at the end of the day, we're passionate fans, and I think that's something that should be respected. But um, look, last thing I really want to touch on because it now unfortunately it is another negative story that's going on with the early women's. I really wish we were starting this podcast under better circumstances, but everyone's just throwing shit around in the women's side of the game lately, and it sucks because we, it's something that we both want to see grow. 
but there's too many people that would love to create negative storylines. And one person that's cr- unfortunately created a very devastating storyline in the last couple of weeks is a dickhead that decided to go on Instagram and send a shit ton of abuse to Newcastle Jets goalkeeper Georgina Worth. And one thing I want to speak on her, because she was obviously playing at Brisbane all last season, probably wasn't her best. Um, definitely a string of performances there where she was a little bit underwhelming, if I'm being completely honest, which in this industry we do have to. Made the move to Newcastle Jets. Started off relatively well, and considering she was an Australian youth international, it was a sign that hopefully we were going to see her slowly come to her best again. Was she playing outstanding? No, but she was showing signs that she was slowly improving, getting her confidence back up, which is probably the biggest thing that took a hit last season. Um, two all draw against Perth, I believe it was your club, Matt. And she gets this string of abuse from some faceless person on Instagram. I'm going to say it's a guy because I can't imagine the obscenity that came from this come from a woman. Hmm. Um, that occurs. Uh, Saturday rolls around. They play Melbourne City, and it's already a tough enough fixture. You're going into it off the back of a minor mistake in your performance, warranting a response like that from a faceless person on the internet. And unfortunately, it probably wasn't her best performance this season. There were a few goals that probably were down to errors that she made. But I just want to talk about the mental side of things because something like that happening... Unfortunately, it's an aspect that women face, that a lot of women face in the game, especially goalkeepers. And I know you're going to touch on this, where the biggest talking point when general male fans of football are talking about the women's game and particularly talking down on the women's game, the biggest target does tend to be goalkeepers. So what do you have to add to that? Because I know you've got a fair bit to say on this topic. Yeah, of course. Look, if I could talk to the cultural cringe and uh, the football cringe, to use an Ange Postacoglu phrase. This is purely about the fact that male fans, and you know, in this particular case, when you when she just straight up posts the screenshot on her own social media accounts as she did, it is so confrontational, and it just it just makes me love and respect any any athlete at any level who who go through their day to day lives because you know at the end of the day these people are not fully professional or you know they're at a professional standard but because of the the you know the wage gaps and things like that they still have to work second jobs um so there's that element of it as well which i just want to start out with by saying you know makes me really love and respect all all the women that play their trade in this league but particularly in this case you know i i if i think of any really stunning goal that I've ever seen at the female level from Alexandra Pinnell against us at the under twenties world cup to Sam Kerr dominating against Brazil and China. You go onto social media and rightfully so there'll be, you know, flame emojis, there'll be fist emojis, you know, the soccer ball emoji, everyone will be celebrating what was a great goal, but the top comments will always be, Oh, well, a male keeper would have saved it. Oh, well, a male keeper would have done this. Female keepers are too weak. They, they don't have the agility and the strength. They can't do this. They can't do that. Firstly, fuck off. Uh, um, secondly, look, you know, of course, just by its general nature, female sport and female athletes aren't going to be at that level, right? 
but it doesn't mean that what they're doing isn't pushing themselves to the limit 100%, and particularly with a very specific skill in doing something like goalkeeping or to borrow from another code, wicketkeeping in cricket, right? Those kinds of things. That skill in of itself is what's on display. And that is where, you know, people look at, at goals that are hit particularly hard or, or sorry, particularly high or particularly fast in a way that female keepers aren't, aren't getting to them as well, particularly for goals from free kicks and also Olympicos from corners. You know, obviously Corey conceded one at the, at the weekend that comes to mind, but you know, just because that's on display more in the women's game doesn't mean the actual skill of the keeping itself is any less compromised. Right. And I just think that, that when, and, and I can only think in this case with Georgina Worth that alcohol or, you know, someone's had a bet or that some, some kind of cultural influence like that is at play as well. Um, Which again, I'll just, I'll just say it again, fuck off. Like, you know, you're, what you're doing personally at that time has got absolutely nothing to do with someone who's going about their day proudly representing their football club. Um, so, you know, the, 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 brighter, the, the wider conversation here, I can't even get my words out, Cody, the wider conversation here about female keepers and the abuse that they get, it, it, it just makes me have a lot more love and respect and speaks culturally to something that we really need to change in the way the game is viewed because... Georgina is, is, is right in, in basically, you know, becoming a, a really big advocate now to kick it out. Now, you want to specifically talk on her performance. Let's not forget, Cody, she has conceded five and made a few sloppy mistakes. You're playing against Melbourne City. If what we've been saying over the last 20 or 30 minutes is any indication, Melbourne City are a good fucking football team. Oh, of course, <laughs> exactly. And it's always going to well. amplify that a little bit more. And exactly. I'm definitely not going to deny that. What I'm saying is... There probably were instances where I'm not even going to say it was a bad performance from it because everything that happened in the past week, it just gen- it generally looks like someone that's playing low on confidence. And going into a game like Melbourne City, unfortunately, if you're not in the right headspace, which if we're looking at it from an objective point of view, how would anyone be in the right headspace dealing with something like that midweek? Obviously, the performance is going to be amplified. And Melbourne City, they're a ruthless side. They've already hit. Wellington Phoenix for four. Lily Alfield, Kate Taylor, both out for that match. You're missing key players there. Once again, that amplifies everything for Wellington Phoenix. In this case, everything's being amplified for Georgia Worth, and it's probably amplified for the whole side as well. No one wants to see a teammate going through something like that. So I'm sure it probably was playing on the minds of a few other players as well on the side. And the reality is, if you watch that game back, for a large part of that match, up until probably the early stage of the second half, Newcastle Jets were actually quite in it. It didn't going into the half at three nil. It probably wasn't a three nil match. It was actually quite balanced from my point of view. So, for Melbourne City to be able to go forward like that and ensure they're finishing off their chances, as much as we're saying it's going to speak to the mental implications that's currently going through the Newcastle Jets, it also does track back to what we're saying about Melbourne City before, and they're just a very ruthless side. So, that is an aspect of this that we've got to take into consideration. But the biggest thing that you are oh, that we were trying to say from here, there definitely is an unfair discourse around women's goalkeepers from a lot of men in football. It is obviously a target because, as you said, the physical nature of the physical nature of female footballers, they're obviously not going to have the same stature in terms of physical size as men. We talk about the average height of a male goalkeeper, especially in the A League, would have to be six three, six four. You're not getting that same height in the women's football. 
Um, Maya Markovsky, I can't remember her height off the top of my head. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that six foot five? Yeah, I mean she's bloody tall, isn't she? Yeah, but that's tall, you're tall talking. That's an anomaly in the women's game. Yeah, like, you exactly. see, she's the head yeah. and shoulders above everyone else. It's it's going to happen, unfortunately. Like these things are going to happen. It's not necessarily because someone's any less of a goalkeeper in terms of natural ability. Unfortunately, when you bring that size into play, if you're looping over someone's head, it's going to happen. It's more likely to happen. Like you said, we've seen the Olympicals. We've seen, even in the under-20s Women's World Cup, uh, the free kick Costa Rica scored against Australia. Very well-taken free kick. But even you mentioned to me offline, the comments were coming from, that were coming from was just automatically, oh, how come the keeper didn't get that? It just went over the top of a head. The, I'm going to... I'm, I'm, gonna... like, I'm sorry, but that, that free kick... Okay, Penel, who scored that, has edged herself in my mind for the rest of my life <laughs> that I am living on on God's great earth. Right, like it was, it was an incredible free kick, and for that to immediately, for all the comments to have been, oh well, the Aussie keeper didn't do enough. I mean, like seriously, get over yourselves. Like it just the thing is, let's, let's change it around. Let's say it was the under twenties men's World Cup. That goal goes in. Are we going to talk about the goalkeeping situation, or are we going to say, holy fuck, that was a good free kick? That honestly, the, the comparison there, the direct comparison, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, I can I can certainly think of male keepers who have done who have done worse, um, and they don't cop the abuse. So yeah, but but again, I just I wonder, you know, again we we talk about the more sort of. I just want to track it back it. to the yeah, yeah sure Melbourne City Newcastle Jets game actually because the fourth goal that probably copped the most abuse out of the five goals that were scored towards Georgina Worth. That was a very, very well-taken chip by Caitlin Carriage. Now, I did say there were a few goals that Georgina Worth probably could have been at fault for. That fourth one, which was the one that people were pointing out the most, probably wasn't because you reverse the roles. Let's just say, let's just say a young player in the men's game comes on and does that. We're talking about a new future, brilliant young talent, and we're not talking about possibly a goalkeeping mishap because... No matter what you can say about that goal, that was a fantastic chip, and that's very, very few keepers, men or women, are going to save that. I actually, I'll tell you what, and I, um, I'm bit, I, I know this is going to sound like I'm lying in a way, but I'm, I'm being genuinely serious. When I was a kid and I used to watch those games on the ABC, one of my favorite players was Lydia Williams. Lydia Williams is a fantastic keeper. She well, she's she's been around the traps for so long, right? And when I used to watch those games on the ABC, and I was getting my football fix through the dub, I would always actually really love the approach and the character and the ability of someone like a Lydia Williams, right? Um, never mind the fact that. She is obviously an anomaly in terms of her heroic status as a Matilda and, 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 a, and a dub player for, for many, many years on end. But I think someone like that coming through the traps would find it pretty difficult these days because, like you say, there's a reluctance, there's, a, there's that reluctance, and there is more of a cultural problem at, at the grassroots level. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to necessarily say there is. You know, it would take a heroic character like that coming through the blue again for a lot of young girls out there to be inspired to do it and to fight off the 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 sort of the the cultural cringe and the and the um what's the word I'm looking for? Just sort of like the 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 the, 
<laughs> the backlash. There we go. It was coming. It was on the tip of my tongue. The backlash. So, you know, if if we could get more women's keepers playing at that really high level as we have done, you know, and I can think of a lot of moments where even some really keep some keepers that we keep on a high regard. I promise you, I'm going somewhere with this. Some keepers that we keep at a high regard, like uh, Mackenzie Arnold in the Asian Cup final in 2018, made a really notable mistake. She ran too far out of her line and got chipped. Lydia Williams was someone that I never saw make a dumb mistake like that. And it really speaks to the fact that when we have strong characters like that in the game, they can be a really big influence for, for people. So no offense to the current crop, but I would love to see someone like that come through the system to inspire more people to be that character and to fight off any, any backlash that, that, that culturally is ingrained in a lot of us um to to sort of be laying at the feet of female keepers so sorry that wasn't <laughs> well, look i think if we're talking about a character like that that's coming yeah, yeah, through yeah. the best person you could probably compare it to would be judd Wyman, i reckon uh yeah and also um just sort of the fact that they're both um first uh first nations uh women as well probably speaks a lot a lot, a lot to their influence as well in, in fact uh, williams is probably of the age where Wyman grew up with her, with her kit watching her on the ABC yeah. as well. So, you know, there, there is, uh, there is <laughs> that element of it. And also with someone like Jada Wyman, I'll tell you, she's got a lot of a fight in her as well. And she can, she can be that person that's really sort of head on and no nonsense. And she does, she does speak to that a lot, but she's obviously uh, with all due respect to her, not going to reach those elite levels that, that Lydia did. So look, I, I don't know that we made any, any use of that. That was a, a bit of a, a bit of a weird chat, but that was a tangent. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was a tangent again, and we've gone on about 50 of them already. So, Cody. Well, look, the biggest thing that I want to take out from this is the fact that if you're, look, anyone that's watched a lot of women's football like what we do knows that the goalkeepers out of there are genuinely very, very talented. There probably are anomalies compared to the men that you don't see. I think it's something that's across the board with women's. Uh, I know if you're talking in general, you're probably, a lot of people will point out the fact, oh, the game's not as quick, the game's not as sharp. Uh, one thing I would like to counteract that with is the fact that a lot of people complain actually that the football in general is too reliant on physical aspects such as pace and strength. So if you're complaining about the men's game and you've got the women's game where general skill is actually at the forefront and what makes a team and a player great, why would you try and shit on it? So that's how I'm going to end that conversation. And to Georgina Worth, Hopefully you are able to move past this. Hopefully what we are that idiot on Instagram you. said um, doesn't have any effect on you as a footballer because the reality is you deserve to be where you are. And hopefully we do see you at your best very, very soon because I can guarantee if a player like Georgina Worth is at her best, this Newcastle side with the talent that they've actually got in their, in their side themselves does have the potential to go very far. So that's actually going to be where we wrap it up. Um, I probably should have said this at the start of the podcast. The aim of this will be to deep dive into a range of topics across the A-League women's once a fortnight. So this won't be a weekly podcast. It will be a fortnightly podcast. So we will be seeing you in two weeks from when this is released. Uh, Matt, do you have any final comments? Yeah, of course. Um, I can only um, express enough how much I want to see more female involvement um, in the game. And that includes people doing what... Uh, we do as sort of a fan journalist contingent. So if any uh, dub fanatics are out there and they want to be a part of spreading the message with us and they'd want to join us, uh, you know, go out there. And if you want to make your own label, if you want to partner up with, uh, with Christian Marchetti and, and what front page football has to offer and chat shit with us, you know, 
there's nothing there's nothing stopping you there's nothing nothing stopping us to spread our love of football so for any women out there who who, who want to do that we can only um, advise that you join us on this journey and uh, become a maniac for the dub cody and look, a big shout out to other female content creators or content creators, journalists that are out there doing very similar things. The more people we have talking about this fantastic league, the more it's going to grow. Um, that has been the first episode of Front Page Dub. We hope you've all enjoyed it. We will see you in a fortnight. Bye-bye.